Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Could you take a moment and pray with me, please? Father, in the holy name of your, of your Son, Jesus Christ, we approach your throne, Father, to thank you. To thank you for what you have done through him in our behalf. My Father, I pray that you would give us understanding to hear the gospel, to hear the readings, Father, and to know that it was for us that Jesus abandoned the glories of heaven to take on the form of man and to lower himself all the way to the cross. Father, I pray you to be with us as we come to understand what Palm Sunday is all about. I pray you to be with me, to give me your spirit, to guide my words, and to give us all, Father, the ability to hear and receive. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, again, everyone, good morning. Uh, we're doing things a little bit different today because you are accustomed at this point to hear the gospel read. But it has been the custom of St. David's for a number of years that we read the gospel at the end of the service rather than at this point. And part of the reason for that is that Today is actually the beginning of the Passion of our Lord. And it takes us all week through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then all the way to Easter. And sometimes this day, Palm Sunday, is a little strange and makes us feel a little strange. Because we met out in the patio and we process all around the church and all the neighbors stopped and, and saw us and we were waving uh, palms and singing Hosanna and all of that. And we entered the church in such enthusiasm that to read the passion of our Lord at this point, it would make us feel like, what am I supposed to feel? Am I supposed to be glad of the entrance into Jerusalem? Or am I supposed to be sad with the crucifixion of Jesus? So for a number of years, St. Davis has had the custom of moving the gospel so that we can conclude the service right into Holy Week and not before. So I pray you will just be patient and wait for the reading of the gospel later on. I think you'll understand what we are doing. As I said a moment ago, we, we are celebrating today the beginning, the beginning of the biblical Passover celebration. It begins today. The beginnings of the biblical Passover celebration. I want you to kind of imagine with me the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This was the day or one of the days in which lambs were being procured. Every family had to go find a lamb, a 
sheep that would be sacrificed and eventually eaten on Friday evening, which would have been the beginning of Passover after 6 p.m. It must have been a very busy time in Jerusalem. And it also must have been commercially a very busy time. Because a lot of people were doing business on these days in preparation for Passover. Those that had been preparing the lambs and caring for the lambs, now it was the time when they will sell them and make a profit. Now was the time when many families would gather and go out and begin to buy the spices and begin to buy the nuts and begin to buy the, the wine and begin to buy the grape juices and begin to buy all of the things that needed to be bought. This was the week or the beginning of the week where Jerusalem was bustling with people coming from all over where the Jews had gone in the diasporas. Family was coming into Jerusalem. Your rooms were packed. People were sleeping wherever they could find a place to sleep. Family you hadn't seen for a number of months perhaps, maybe even longer, you would see on Passover, this particular Passover. People were traveling from all over the place. The city must have been buzzing. The inns were filled. People may even be tenting outside of the city. I guarantee you the Romans were busy too. I guarantee you the Romans were concerned with so many Jewish people in the city. Rebels. I think the Romans were also very concerned and probably had moved a number of soldiers and legions in the vicinity of Jerusalem. With their swords, their shields, their helmets, ready just in case a zealot had decided to start something. Busy time. Busy time in the city of Jerusalem. This was the time, and around this time, like I said, that many of the lambs were being procured. This was also the time, especially as we come closer to Friday, that the lambs were being slaughtered in preparation for them to be cooked and eaten on Friday evening. One of the things I have always found sort of interesting is that as the lambs are being slaughtered in the temple, from morning to near night on Friday, and you could probably hear the wailing of the lambs being killed, Jesus also is at the cross at that very moment. At the very moment that lambs were being killed, the Lamb of God is also being sacrificed. Jesus went up on the cross at about 9 a.m. By 3 p.m. everything became dark. Jesus began to preach his last sermon. I thirst. Mother, 
there is your son, son, there is your mother. Eli, Eli, my God, my God. I forgive you. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those, those are sermons of Jesus that could take us a long time to really truly get into and understand the meaning in them and behind them and what our Lord went through. At the same time as the sheep are being slaughtered, it is the time that our Lord is being sacrificed at about the same time. Jesus finally bowed down and died at about 3 p.m. 6 p.m. Passover would begin. The high day of the celebration would be the Sabbath, which began on Friday at 6 p.m. and lasted until Saturday at 6 p.m. or just before 6 p.m. And after Saturday, there were seven days of feast, which were known as the Feast of Unleavened Breads, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. To be able to come into the city of Jerusalem, there were two primary roads that led to the city. I think you can see in the map. I, uh, I found this one and it's marked in red. To the left is what we call the Via Maris, or the way by the sea. It just followed all along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and at some point uh, near Jerusalem, then there's some roads that you can cut into the east to come to Jerusalem. That is a road that connected Rome and what is now Turkey with Turkey with Egypt. That is the way that people would come. And unless you came on ship and you crossed the Mediterranean Sea, this was the only way to come around by land. On the right-hand side, where I have the yellow arrows, is what is called the King's Highway. If you notice, neither of these highways went through Samaria. When I preached recently to you on the passage where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, we saw the enmity that existed between Samaritans and Jewish people. So all of those people who have been spread all over the world, including those that may have stayed in Babylon after the exile, and come to the temple for the great Passover feast, they most likely would take the King's Highway, which is to the east of the Dead Sea. So that road must have been packed with people, and if you have been following Jesus from Galilee, you know that that is the road that Jesus took to come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't come right straight through Samaria, he came through using the King's Highway, and as he comes near Jericho, then he cuts in. I wasn't with you last week, Father Charles was here, and he preached on the resurrection of Lazarus. The resurrection of Lazarus happens in a city called Bethany. 
And in this next slide, you can see to the bottom, near the compass rows, you can see a road that says to Bethany. Jesus had been laid a number of days before coming to see Lazarus. Jesus had come down with the crowds and was probably staying somewhere near Jericho. Then he comes, when he finds out that Lazarus has finally died, he comes down to Bethany and there is the resurrection takes place. What I want you to see with me is that from Bethany, you go, you go out to the Mount of Olives, and from the Mount of Olives, there is a decline, which is called the Kidron Valley. And then you go up again into the Temple Mount, which I have circled there in red. You go into the Temple Mount, and the front door of the Temple Mount faced east. So you would come into the Temple, and the Temple Mount from the east. What I want you to imagine with me, is the numbers of people traveling on that road. Not only the people that are coming down to the feast using the King's Highway, but if you read the Gospel of Matthew about the triumphal entry, you recognize also that after the resurrection of Lazarus, a number of people who had come to be with Mary and Martha and who had come to mourn and to wail at the, at the funeral of Lazarus, they began to follow Jesus into Jerusalem. Others may have heard about the resurrection of Lazarus and are coming the other way from Jerusalem to go see what happened and who is this guy who resurrected the dead. And I always think of Jesus being sandwiched between these crowds. Those coming down the King's Highway, those following him after the resurrection of Lazarus, and those coming the other way to meet up with him. And I can imagine the disciples all around Jesus trying to protect him from everyone wanting to touch him, everybody wanting to be near him, everyone kind of coming near him. I can almost imagine the disciples as guards just watching out for Jesus. And Jesus rides in the middle of all these crowds of people. He's riding on a donkey. As he goes to the city of Jerusalem. As he goes to the Holy Land. Or to the Holy City. I want you to understand that Jesus knew fully what he was doing. He wasn't just coming into Jerusalem as he had done before. The riding into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, was done on purpose. Was done to announce who he was. And so I decided I would look in my Bible and I would try and find out places where a donkey was used or an animal was used. And I came to a number of passages that I believe were very significant for me. One of them is Abraham and Isaac. When God tells Abraham to offer his son. And Abraham comes with a donkey going to 
the Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is very near there, Mount Calvary. That whole area there was Mount Moriah at a time and eventually becomes known as Mount Zion. And near there is Calvary. And I read about Abraham bringing his son on a donkey to offer him to die in Mount Moriah. And on the donkeys the wood, and they bring the fire, and they bring a knife, and they bring a purpose to kill the son that God had given to Abraham. And of course you know the story. As Abraham is about to offer his son, God intervenes and he replaces Isaac with a, with a, with a lamb, with a ram. And Isaac is saved. This time would not, that would not be the case. This time the father is fully going to sacrifice his son. The other place where I found reference to, the, to an, a donkey that I found significant is when Jacob is blessing his sons just before he dies. And this is what he says. The scepter, which is a symbol of kingship, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. So this may be a prophetic reference about Jesus from way back in Genesis. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Now, I've read commentators and no one can tell who Shiloh is, but they believe it is a reference to Messiah. Until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Read this. Binding his donkey to the vine. Now vine has always been a symbol for blood. All through scripture. The grape is pressed. The juice that comes out has been a symbol. In the book of Revelations it is used often. But it says. Binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's call to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. I find this passage very significant. Way back in Genesis, the beginning of books, the book of all beginnings, there's already an indication of a sacrifice and riding on a donkey. And then I read how David was offered a donkey to come into Jerusalem when he becomes king. They offer him a donkey so that he could enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. And then I read about Solomon actually entering Jerusalem as the king riding a mule. And it just seems to me that all these kings, Jewish kings, enter Jerusalem with a sense of humility, with a sense of lowliness, 
and not like a Roman emperor or a Roman general who would enter with all the pomposity of a great white horse. It just seems that people like David, Solomon, and now Jesus. And then I come to a prophecy that I think Jesus was very much aware he was fulfilling in Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a call the fall of a donkey. Now, I want to say to you that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing as he was entering Jerusalem. I think Jesus was very aware that he was proclaiming himself as the king of the, of the Jews. I want to say to you that Jesus was proclaiming himself as the Messiah. All through the Gospels, at the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry, we find that whenever people want to tell the world that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus says to everybody, no, don't tell anybody, it's not my time yet. He even says that to Mary, his mother, at the wedding of Cana. What is that with you, mother? It's not my time yet. Every time he does a mighty miracle and they want to make him king, he runs away from any notoriety of him wanting to be made king. When he heals the demoniac in the capitalist, he tells him, don't tell anybody. Of course, he can't keep quiet. And he don't tell everybody. Jesus constantly, at the beginning of his ministry, wants to avoid him stepping up to the forefront too fast. But not this time. This time, Jesus is making sure that who he is is not missed by anyone. So he orders that a donkey be brought to him, and he even uses word of knowledge and says to his disciples, you go and you're going to find a man, and that man is going to say to you, what do you want? Just tell him to give you the donkeys and bring him to me, and he's going to give them to you. Huh? That's word of knowledge. And so the man goes, and, and they say, you know, he says, what do you want to the disciples? He says, the master says, give me your donkey. And the guy says, go ahead, take him. <laughs> they put garments on the donkey, and Jesus rides on the donkey into Jerusalem, caught up in the emotions of all these people that are traveling to celebrate Passover, to proclaim him king, because of the resurrection of Lazarus. And Jesus is very aware of the consequences of his actions. And he owns them. He owns the consequences of proclaiming himself openly, clearly, visibly for all to see that he is claiming a kingdom that was equal to his father David, a kingdom that fulfilled prophecy, a kingdom of God on earth. 
and Jesus intends to be noticed and you couldn't miss this procession into the city of Jerusalem with Jesus riding on a donkey and all these crowds with palm branches and throwing their garments and and you know what they were saying in the book of Psalms the book of Psalms is divided into four different books or four different sections there's one section of the book of Psalms which is called the Hallel Psalms Hallel is the it's are the Psalms of ascension the Psalms of ascension they are the Psalms that would be sung or read or proclaim out loud as you are ascending from the Kidron Valley and into the Mount of the Lord or into the Mount of Zion. And one of those Psalms is Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 verse 25 reads, Save now, which means Hosanna. That's what Hosanna means. Save us, Lord. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us life. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Hosanna, Hosanna to him who comes in the name of the Lord. And the word Hosanna means save now, save us, Lord. No wonder the Romans may have been a little ticked off. <laughs> because many of these Jewish people processing in and crying Hosanna were probably looking to Jesus to be a save us now from the Romans type of person. Save us now. Return us to the time of David. Return us to the time of Solomon. Return us to the golden age of Israel. Return us, Lord. Hosanna to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The only issue is, as I see it, is that even if Jesus had tried to save the Jewish people from the Romans, somebody else would have come in their place. Because the history of Israel is one, unfortunately, where there's been occupiers always, pretty much. Starting with Alexander the Great, and even perhaps before Alexander the Great, you had the Assyrians, and after the Assyrians, you had the Babylonians. And after the Babylonians, you had the Greeks. And after the Greeks, you had Antiochus Epiphanes. And after Antiochus Epiphanes, you have the Romans. If the issue was to save us from Rome, some other country would have come. Because Israel is a small piece of land, but it seems that everybody wants it. Everybody's always wanted that piece of land. Even today, everybody wants that piece of land. You look in a map, and unless you know where Israel is, you, it disappears. It's such a small, and yet it's such a pivotal place that everybody's always wanted to own that country and control it and possess it. 
And if it had been saved us from the Romans, it would have been only a temporary salvation because somebody else would have come. What Jesus came to do wasn't to save from military powers, but to save from sin for all eternity. To save the sinners, to save all who were under the, the clutches of sin, of death, of the consequences. And he was becoming the Lamb of God who indeed would save his people from their sins. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, but he's allowing them to get caught up in all the emotion of the celebration, the expectations, and he probably is just watching everybody, everybody with a different idea of who Jesus should be, when he always knows who he is and what he came to do. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, palm branches, cries of hosannas, expectations, and Jesus just knows he's fulfilling the Father's will, and he knows what's coming, and he's embracing it, and he's allowing it, and he's riding toward it never away from it. He's riding toward it because he would save the world through his passion. Not just one people, but the whole world would be saved by his death. So that is what is happening this day. And as we conclude the service today with the reading of the gospel, we will get the sense of the heaviness of the meaning of this day. But that's what we are here for. We're here to celebrate Jesus' entrance. We're here to proclaim Him King. We're here to make him our king, our Lord, our Savior. We are here to come into Jerusalem for the Passion Week with Jesus. So I hope I just put this in some context for you so that you have some understanding and appreciation of what this week would have looked like in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.